Welcome again to our first time guests, and, and hopefully I had a chance to meet you. I think I did. My name is Josh. It's my privilege to serve as the lead pastor of this church. I wear a lot of different hats. Husband, uh, dad, and uh, a former student who you know got a bunch of degrees, and I live in Sarasota. You really could call me by a whole bunch of different things, and I'd probably answer to them. But if you were to ask me, what do you prefer to be called? It's not the Holy Reverend or uh, the lead pastor. It's call me Josh. Okay, call, just call me Josh because then that shows that we have a relationship and you know me and, uh, and you can get to know me better. But as long as you're calling me some other name and only that name that defines the relationship. I expect my kids to call me daddy because they're my kids and have a relationship. But, but the name that you call someone or the name you want to be called by makes a difference that shows something about you and this morning i'm so excited for the name of jesus that we're going to look look at because it is the name that jesus uses to refer to himself the most frequent all throughout the new testament if you look his name is jesus he's called son of god he is the messiah and the christ but what does he call himself when he's talking to the Pharisees or he's talking to his disciples or he's teaching the crowd? Son of Man is the title, the name that Jesus refers to himself. Not Christ, not Messiah, although he did acknowledge, yes, I am the Messiah. But there's something specific about the, the name Son of Man. If you're keeping count, it's used 81 times in the Gospel of Counts. 81 times, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You add them all up. And it's referring back to the Old Testament. It's a very specific name found in Scripture. Oftentimes, it could be used to, to refer to just simply a human, a person, one of us, a prophet. Like in Ezekiel 2, God speaks to Ezekiel and says, Son of man. And what is he saying? He's, you were born in the line of Adam, the human race. That's, it's a common reference. But there are some references in the Old Testament that talk about a son of man, but he's different from all the rest. He's the son of man. I'm thinking of a passage like Daniel 7, where you're going to see in a few moments there are some very big differences. This son of man is human but he's also more than human. So when Jesus calls himself the Son of Man, he's bringing the load and the weight of that name so that you can have that personal relationship with him and know him for who he really is. Dating back from before you were even born, before this world was even created. So our main point this morning, and I invite you to turn with me to John chapter 3. We're going to start there. John chapter 3. And the main point this morning is that Jesus is the Son of Man. And is lifted high. Jesus is the Son of Man and is lifted high. We're going to see three ways that he's lifted high in just a moment. But turn to John 3, verse 13 to 14. Because Jesus identifies himself as Son of Man here, and he gives you the full picture of who he is and what he's come to do. Are you with me? Amen. If you're with me, say hey. hey. <laughs> okay, good, good. We're awake. John 3, verse 13 to 14. Let me read that out loud for us, and you can follow along to check me, make sure I'm telling you the truth. Jesus says, No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. 
And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. We know John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Depending on what translation you memorize, the truths are the same in all of them. It's beautiful. But did you know about these verses preceding it? Where Jesus says, before you can accept the offer of salvation, you can receive this free gift that I'm offering. You need to understand where I came from. Who the Son of Man is. The Son of Man must be lifted high. But you got to understand, the Son of Man has been lifted up high from eternity past. That's point number one. She says, no one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven. So where did the Son of God come from? Or, or where did Jesus come from? Jesus says, I had an existence before I existed. How, how, does, how does that work? He's clearly more than man. You and I don't even remember our birthday. We don't remember much of our early formative months and years. At some point, that long-term memory started kicking in. But... Jesus says, I existed before that, and I descended from heaven. That's a specific reference to the fact that he was with God. And some of us are reading through the Gospel of John right now and really soaking it in. He says in John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. There's authority behind this. Do you notice how in our world, for someone to be an accomplished, self-made individual, they have to climb the ladder. Or they have to earn their stripes. Or they go through those promotions. So much of our society, there's some good to this. We should recognize and give honor to whom honor is due. And, and I believe if you work hard for a living, you should, you should get paid for it. I think there's some good principles there. But, but as far as the whole, you have to climb the ladder to prove your worth, what do you do with someone who's all worthy and always has been, and he came down the ladder? Jesus isn't trying to impress anyone. You should be impressed. But if you're not, he is who he is. He descended from heaven. He did not climb his way to heaven. He didn't have to win a Heaven's Got Talent show to now be worthy of all this praise. He's always been, and he always will be. And he has chosen to step down into human history. It's incredible. Now hold your place there and turn with me back to the Old Testament in Daniel chapter 7. You might need to look at the table of contents at the beginning of your Bible. We do, by the way, we do have uh, some worship resources in the back if that will help you. Or if you need to look it up on your phone, that's fine as well. It's right after the book of Ezekiel. So plenty of big... Uh, Big Old Testament books there. I only have one bookmark, so bear with me as I as I flip over here myself. Buys you some time. Daniel chapter 7 is the passage you're going to want to go to in the Old Testament to learn about the Son of Man and what he's come to do. Look with me at verses 13 to 14. Isaiah has a vision. And he sees in this vision, in the night visions, behold, with the clouds of heaven... There came one like a son of man, and he came to the ancient of days. 
and who was presented before him and to him referring back to the son of man was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples nations and languages should serve him his dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom is one that shall not be destroyed now in a moment we'll look back at some of the context of daniel's son but here's what you need to know daniel has a vision going back to verse 9 he sees god's throne room the ancient of days is referring to god proper god the father but then it talks about empty thrones and then it talks about one who's like a son of man who was not previously on the throne but now he arrives he ascends into the clouds and he takes the throne and it says now all praise and focus are on him and his kingdom so question for you you can answer out loud or, or just rhetorically in your mind does God allow anyone else to take his throne or his glory? Does he allow anyone else to receive worship other than him alone? That answer is no. It's, it's, it's God. God alone is worthy of worship. As you get to know who God is, you realize that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And it's God the Son who stepped down from heaven and took on human flesh. He became like a son of man. He's just like us in a human nature. And at some point in the future, he's on the throne. That's all Daniel can piece together. This vision terrified him, by the way. He says at the end of Daniel chapter 7, it wasn't like, a, oh, I'm going to go write a book and I'm going to publish it and tell everybody I saw heaven and I saw unicorns and we ate ice cream and some of these heaven tourism books, I'm telling you. Uh, Daniel saw the throne room of heaven, and he was sick to his stomach, and he, he, couldn't even, he couldn't even put into words more than what God had given him. You are changed when you see the glory of God. It's a holy matter. But clearly, someone like Son of Man, who receives worship. So he's man, but he's God. He's a God-man. And Lacey told me about this video uh, last night, and I looked it up early this morning, uh, over at Windsor Castle, over in, in, in Britain, or how I grew up calling it England, but it's, 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 uh, it's that island over there, as you know. <laughs> Prince William is pretty well known in that kingdom, unless you're a three-year-old boy who's, who's sitting along the, the grounds with his family, and he's looking for the prince, looking for Prince William. Well, what's funny about this video is Prince William comes up to him, and the boy says, do you know where Prince William is? I'm looking, I'm looking for Prince William. Prince William says, I, th I think he's coming along. He says, do you, do you know who I am? Do you know what my name is? And the boy says, the government? <laughs> Prince William just dies laughing right there. The government, yeah, no. And eventually his mom whispers down to him, that's Prince William. Oh, you're Prince William? This royal... You know, heir to the throne, you're, you're the prince, everybody knows you, and you're here talking to me? This is special. And it was a really cute interaction. But you know what happened after that interaction? Prince William moves on, and he goes to talk to other people, and at some point he goes back up to Windsor Castle. So we understand conceptually what it's like for a royal to come be among the commoners for a little while. And in fact, the, the ancient Greek sources, if you're looking at writers like Homer and, 
um, and other Greek philosophers who came hundreds of years before Christ, they they had written about oh there's these gods and they you know they're they're like us. So you got Hercules and you got Zeus and they've got these human like tendencies. If one those those gods are made up, these are those are fairy tales, Greek mythology as we call them. But Jesus says to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, this is something that has never happened before and will never happen again. I didn't just come down and visit my people. I came and I became one of you. I took on flesh. I'm in it. From then on, God the Son would always be in a human form. To eternity future. One like the Son of Man. This is in the future. After he's raised from the dead and he, he ascends the throne. He's still in human form. How incredible is it that the God of all took on a human form. To be one of us. Now we'll talk about why he did that. But let, let's think about John 1.14. Where he says the word was clothed in flesh. The word became flesh. So the Son of God did not sacrifice his deity. He didn't lay his, oh, I'm going to stop being God now. He's fully God, but he added a human nature because he's God, and he can do that. But he was virgin born, so he was born of a woman, but God was his father. He, you know, the, the line of sin came through man. So to show that this was God's work and God alone, he was virgin born, fully God, fully man. No human has ever done this. You can climb any ladder you want. You can be king over Asia. You're not going to touch what Jesus has done and who he is. He's fully God and fully man. He had six senses like us. He had limitations like us. He needed to rest like us. He got a sore throat like us. But he did not sin like us. He's different. He is cut different. And I love that because Jesus lived a full human experience. He wasn't just Superman. You know, he like fly around people's heads and do whatever he wanted. He obeyed the laws of man in his humanity. But we also see the miracles that he did in his divinity. So he was he's lifted up from eternity past. But why did he come? We see he came to be lifted up on the cross. Go back to John 3, 14. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. If you're not familiar with that story from the Old Testament, it comes from Numbers 21, verses 8 through 9, specifically, where God judges the Israelites by sending fiery serpents to bite them because they were rebelling against their king, and the whole nation was going to tear itself apart. So this is what God does. He sends a judgment, but then he also shows mercy and says, if you will look at this bronze serpent lifted up on the pole, you'll be saved. You'll be healed of that. Will you have the humility to admit you need help from above? And will you look at the serpent? Everyone who did lived. God was very merciful. Those who refused and stayed in their pride they died. But Jesus says, just like that bronze serpent was lifted up, this was the hope for all people. Look here and live. In that same way, I came to be lifted up. 
on a pole on the cross. He came to be lifted up on the cross. A lot of us would think lifting up is a positive thing, but if you're talking about the cross, I would never want to be lifted up on that. And Jesus is saying, this is why he came, not for himself, but for you and for me. Luke 9.22, Jesus says, the Son of Man must suffer many things. Oh yeah, sign me up for that life. I want to suffer many things. And not to get ahead, but to disadvantage myself so others can get ahead. Who does that? Who, who wants to be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and, and then be killed? They're suffering a physical death. So have you ever had any doubts about, well, is Jesus really human like us? Did he feel what we feel? Felt? <laughs> yes. Yes. It was actual real suffering. Real physical death. He was really killed. The crown of thorns was real. The splinters from the wood on the cross was real. The flogging, the beating was real. The spit and the slaps were real. The rejection was real. The shaking and the thirst on the cross in agony trying to pull himself up on the nail that's between his feet. All that was real. And he knew that ahead of time. And he descended from his place of glory and majesty and took on that form of a servant so that you and I could be raised up. And that's why we take communion. Through his brokenness, we have unity. Because he was broken, we are made whole. So we celebrate the blood and the body. Outsiders will look in on that and say, that is so weird. Uh, what, what are you drinking? The actual blood of Jesus? No, the actual physical blood of Jesus was shed 2,000 years ago. We're not drinking actual blood. Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. Remember what I did, you, what I've done. Oh, my English is, is messed up today. Remember what I've done. We needed a perfect God to atone for all of our sins, to cover all of our sins, because we've messed up in a big way. We deserve punishment for that. Jesus covered it. But we also needed a perfect man, because which one of us was going to be willing to take all the wrath of God towards sin and has lived a perfect life to be a righteous sacrifice. I'm not an eligible candidate, and I don't think you are either. Jesus was the Son of Man. He was lifted up. And here's the beauty of what God does, taking broken, broken things and turning them for good. Jesus said, I came to be lifted up. And the Pharisees they wanted to kill him, and they sent Jesus to the cross, and he was lifted up. But did that stay as an instrument of torture and, and hardship and, and emptiness? And did the cross have the final word? Not even close. By going to the cross, Jesus guaranteed he would receive all of the worship and glory and dominion over everything. So the cross went from being a symbol of defeat, and anyone in that day wouldn't want to be within 10 feet of a cross because of the suffering and hardship associated with it. And now we wear crosses around our necks, and we get tattoos and bumper stickers. We want everyone to know we identify with the cross. Bunch of weirdos. It's like, it's like having an a, a electric chair on a necklace around your neck. Who does that? That's what the Son of Man 
did. He came and he has only he can do. Turn an instrument of torture into an instrument of praise. This is our Jesus. He was lifted up and he is the hope for our salvation. So one takeaway we need to have from this is if Jesus understands real pain and he willingly went through it for us, whatever pain you're going through right now, know that you have a Savior who's willing to walk with you through it every step of the way. In fact, he's been there before. He sympathizes with our every weakness. You've had moments of, of fear and struggle. You've had anxiety, temptations. You've had rejection. Jesus was tempted like us in every single way. The only difference is he didn't sin, which is a big difference. But as far as the physical and emotional and spiritual toll, he knows the pain. One, one of the things that, that is interesting about Jesus' life is at some point in his adult life, his father is no longer on the scene. We're never told what happens to Joseph. My guess is that he passed away. I, I, I seriously doubt um, divorce was not uh, well looked upon in this era. And Mary and Joseph seem to have a really good relationship at the start. She seems to have a really good relationship with the kids. But we don't know. But whatever happened to Joseph, that brokenness paved a way for Jesus to be able to tell everyone, God is my father. And he can be yours too. So if you come from a broken home, a broken place, a place of struggling, a place of hurt, you have a Savior who was lifted up on the cross for you. And I'm not here to tell you this morning, well, let's just sugarcoat that suffering. Let's act like, oh, everything is good. If you're a Christian, every day is supposed to be the best day ever. Some days are the worst. I mean, some suffering and hardship, I have no words for. It's so hard. It's so terrible. I don't have the comfort for you, but Jesus does. And he's with you. Your faith is in him. He is your Savior. He's your Son of Man. Here's the third and final way we see him lifted up. He's lifted up, not just to the cross, but beyond that, to the highest place. Jesus says, I descended from heaven. But then what else does he do? He ascends to heaven. This time, when he goes back to heaven, it's because he fulfilled all the Father's will. He completed his work. He died on the cross. He rose from the dead. And now he ascends fully God, fully man in his resurrected body. And he takes the throne, which brings us back to Daniel 7. So this is what Daniel saw. And look at verses 9 to 10 with me. As I looked, thrones were placed. Many thrones were placed. The Ancient of Days took his seat, and his clothing was white as snow. The hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames, and its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousand served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. This is God on the throne. <clears throat> And before we jump to the Son of Man coming up, we've got to understand what's going on here. This is a chilling scene because the court is in session. There's judgment here. Earlier in Daniel 7, we're told about all these nasty beasts representing the governments of the world. 
all their wickedness and their fighting and one government squashes another and then another and then another comes. There's no permanence in this earthly world. There's no kingdom that lasts forever. There's no king that is righteous. But God's not stressed out. Look at him. Pull my, my stool over here. This is what the Almighty does. He's sitting. He's not stressed. He sees it all. He's in control of all. He's the ancient of days. And it says 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. That, that's a, a metaphorical phrase in the Old Testament. That's the highest number they could, they could say. It's like if we said Google. One followed by a hundred zeros. Yeah, I, I can't even mentally compute that. That's what they're saying. Thousands upon times ten thousands stood before him. And he's on the throne. And fire's coming out from his throne. In fact, it says his throne was fiery flames and its wheels were burning fire. Because in that context, in the, in the kingdoms of Babylon Persia, it was common for a king to have a throne on wheels. So he could be mobile, but he could also reign and judge at the same time. It's really interesting how they did it. Well, guess what? God's throne in this vision has wheels of fire. Like nothing you've ever seen before. But what I want to zoom in on is the fact that there were thrones placed. Why would, why would there be more than one throne? Well, one is for the Son of Man who's coming up. And it says there's one like a Son of Man coming with the clouds. He approached the Ancient of Days. In fact, he was escorted before him. He's got a royal escort coming into the throne room. And he takes the throne. He was given dominion and glory and a kingdom so that those of every people, nation, and language should serve him. And his kingdom will not pass away. And they get this, verse 27. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms of, under the whole heaven will be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. Be given to the saints of the Most High? Here's what Jesus did. The Son of God came down and was lifted up, and he looks at his disciples and he says, You know what? You're coming with me. I'm not leaving you behind, and I'm not just hoarding all this glory, and I'm going to treat you like, like a bug or a worm, and you're going to serve me. I'm going to rule you with an iron fist, and you're going to have, you're going to have a miserable exi existence the rest of your days. Oh, no. I stooped down to heal your wounds and to bring you up with me. And saints of God will even have the opportunity to sit on a throne, not the throne, we're not God here, but to sit on some kind of, of throne where we are sharing in the glory of Jesus. Just like we share in the eternal life. He says, whoever puts their faith in me will never die. I will give you eternal life. He shares that with us. He will share a new body with us in our final resurrection. He will share the riches of his kingdom. He told his disciples, I'm going to prepare a place for you. But look at this. He even gives us an opportunity to rule with him. That's exactly what he says. In 2 Timothy 2.12, Paul says that saints will reign with him. In 1 Corinthians 6, 2-4, we're told, one day we will judge angels. That seems far out there. I mean, I've always thought of angels like, I'm terrified. If I saw an angel 
It would be scary, okay? I want to tell you what I did. It would be scary, and yet there will come a day where we will be raised up so high with Christ that we will even administer over angels in the new kingdom. This is mind-blowing. I'm a, I'm a sinner. I'm a messed up person. I'm like, Peter, I've denied Jesus, and who am I, Lord, that you would do this to me? Jesus says, one day you'll see the Son of Man coming in the clouds. And I'm coming back for you. I've taken the throne. I deserve the throne. I'm not giving up the throne. We're going to worship him and it's his kingdom. But in his kingdom, he's a gracious king. And he loves. And he serves. And he cares. And for those who put their faith in him, it's grace upon grace. We're sons and daughters of the most high God. We're kings and queens with him. He will rule and we will rule with him. Now you might feel right now that, Josh, that can't be reality because it's just suffering on this earth. It's just hardship. This sounds really good, but I don't know if I can believe it. Here's the thing. Daniel was written hundreds of years before Jesus came. He owed us nothing. <coughs> But still he came to keep his promise. And if he kept his promise at the first coming, won't the Son of Man keep his promise at the second? Not everything in Daniel 7 has been fulfilled yet. So either God's a liar, or this is true. And that helps me put all of my suffering today in a perspective that really adds hope and value to your life. This isn't just pie-in-the-sky kind of theology. This is world turned upside down. This Oh, so this is what Jesus means when he says, you will have eternal life. Look back to Genesis 1. You don't have to turn there. But what happened in Genesis 1? God created man and woman. And he says, you will have dominion over the earth. And what did Adam and Eve do? It's not enough. We want to eat this fruit. We want to have more. We want to climb that ladder. So they eat the fruit. And instead, they plunge all the way to the bottom. Everything's broken. They're not rulers anymore. They're trying not to get plugged by thorns. Ladies are trying to survive childbirth. We're trying not to kill each other down here. That's a far cry from being rulers over, over the world. But look how God turns everything upside down. Because there is a new Adam. A second Adam, a better Adam, the Son of Man, and all who put their faith in Jesus are now born again into a new human race. It's a spiritual race that can't be bought with money or religious works or going to church. It was bought by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Him and Him alone, and in Christ alone, I will stand before God one day. And He will say, you are welcome here. And it won't be because I was a pastor or I started a church or I did a lot of really good things or I tried to raise my kids right. It's going to be because Jesus said to come. So I came. That's the only reason I'm here. So friend, if you are at a low point here, Jesus sympathizes with you. And I want you to know that this is the lowest you're ever going to get. This is the closest to hell that any believer is going to have. From here on out, we're going up. 
for all of eternity were in the heavens with him. And then when the human events have carried their course, Revelation tells us, you can check me out, Revelation 21 and 22, God brings the new heaven down to earth. New heavens, new earth, everything's remade. Now we are fulfilling our creative purpose to have dominion over all things to glorify God. The kingdom is remade, and in fact, it's even better, because that's what God does. So as we reflect on that, I want you all to, to really just rejoice in Jesus this morning. I don't know how your summer's going, but there's a lot of reasons for joy. And it starts with Jesus, and it will end with Jesus. So do you know him personally? Does there come a point where you realize that you have broken God's law, that you are a sinner, as am I and every other member of this human race, and even on my best days, I fall short. Yet Jesus offered me mercy, and he showed me his love for me on the cross. In fact, the cross is the, the shining light of God's love towards me. You don't have to be a slave anymore to your sin. You don't have to be a slave to fear. You can be free in Christ. And do you realize that God in his sovereignty, who's on the throne, has put you here on this earth for such a time as this? Your life is not a mistake. The people around you are here for a reason. Your personality, your gifts and abilities, your mind, your physical presence, everything about you, God made for a purpose. So what is your purpose today? Individually, it'll look a little bit different, but I do know one thing. It starts with Jesus and seeking his kingdom first. And everything else <coughs> falls into place because that's the top of the ladder. And guess what? We're there with Christ. We are raised with Christ. No one needs to go out today and say, I need to be a better Christian. I need to do more good stuff. Man, I got to get my act together. You can't get your act together. That's the point. It's Jesus. So when I go out and I live, I don't live to try to get Jesus' favor. I live by faith in the Son of God. He lives through me. Anything good that I do comes from his power. So our ladies that sacrificed and gave up your time and served at that event last Wednesday, guess what? Christ worked through you. And he did an amazing work. It was a beautiful thing to see. And I can tell you, the mom that came does not connect to our church. She signed up for mentoring. And we're going to get to continue to see the word applied to her life and lives are changed. Men that serve in the children's ministry, we are sowing seeds that I pray will bear eternal fruit for God. Man, he really does have a purpose for our lives. And as we come together and we study his word, we discover that together. If you'll bow your head and close your eyes, I'm going to do two things for us. One of them is familiar, and one of them might make you feel a little uncomfortable, but I think it's okay to be uncomfortable. <clears throat> We're in the presence of Almighty God. He's, he's worth being uncomfortable for and seeing him in his, in his amazing glory. I want to pray for us to be able to understand as much as humanly possible this incredible truth today, that Jesus is the Son of Man. He is lifted high, and may he be lifted high in our lives. But then we're going to transition, and we're going to have a time where the people, you, where you're seated, can cry out to him in prayer. And I encourage you to partner up with somebody sitting next to you and pray. Maybe you ask them, how can I pray for you? 
or hey, I really feel burdened for what's going on in, in this community or in, in, uh, with the human trafficking going on around the world or, or with our nation and, and where we're at. Let your heart respond to the fact that Jesus is on the throne. Maybe you have fear, anxiety, and me just praying over you is not going to make it go away. This needs to be your response to the work of the Son, and you allow his grace to reign in your life. So let me pray first, and then we will pray partnering up together, and that will be the conclusion of our service. Lord, we direct our thoughts and our admiration to you. We love you. And Lord, if there's anyone here this morning that does not know you, doesn't have this personal relationship, God, please, please open their eyes to see the truth. It's not going to be through my persuasive words. It's not going to be because we have a fancy church. It's going to be because your powerful spirit is going to show them the life that you have. And I pray for that. I pray for life to be found today. I pray for people to be set free from fear and anxiety and and addictions today. I pray for people to be encouraged today to go out in power and strength and joy. And Lord, there are some who are not here today for various reasons. And I lift them up that wherever they are, God, you are in full control over their lives. You are the sovereign. And we just, we ask that you be with them, protect them, allow them to walk out your word. I pray for this community, God. You are king over this community, whether they want to admit it or not. Whether they worship you or not, you are on the throne. Help us to go out boldly and claim this community for Jesus Christ. That under your authority, we speak the truth. We can't help but do that, Lord, because of what you've done in our lives. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.